This episode is brought to you by North Texas Honda Dealers. North Texas Honda Dealers, they're here to help. He has time, launches it to the end zone. Touchdown, Terrence Williams. Goes to the right side for Crabtree. It's caught. He plays. He's going What's he up the right sideline? He's got to go. He's tackled Sam Houston. Wins it. The Bearcats capture their first FCS championship. Hello and welcome to the Republic of Football. I'm your host, Ishmael Johnson. Got the whole crew back after going live a couple weeks ago and then not being back for <laughs> a couple of weeks. Uh, I'm here in studio. That's definitely, a, this is definitely a live show, by the way. Um, <laughs> I'm here in studio with Mike Craven. Mike, what's up, man? Same old, same old. Yeah. You know, trying yeah. to get to August 27th. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah. God. We're, it's, it's approaching a little bit too fast. Uh, that person turning the dial, uh, dials over there is Mallory Hartley. Mal pal. Hey, what's up? Hey, can I tell you guys something? Sure. Yeah, I feel much more important now that we've got video. Because yeah, that's when I was just the producer for the podcast, I sure. just push one button and it was record. <laughs> and then you, but and now then I'm you, like, graphics, let's up. let's dress this show up yeah. to where I feel like I'm important. No, so that's fair. No, I feel good. Thanks for having me on. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I like mean, you are important because last week we couldn't do it oh, because so you were <laughs> Like, I guess that's like, true. Like, we're both working. And we're like, well, nah, like, I was like, nah, uh, we're not. I can't. Yeah. I think you were like, you are like, yeah, I could show you guys how to work. It was like, nah, nah. just nah, we're good. <laughs> we're good. I stopped learning new things three years ago. <laughs> I turned 35 and was like, ah, no more new Technology. information. Technology? Nah. Right, exactly. No, it's, it's all good. I know. Craven will have like a question about the back end of the website or something. He's just like, how do I, uh, the, I think you get like your first couple days here, like, how do I do a photo in here? Like, I'm just like, <laughs> it's like, you know what? Respect. I'm not, <laughs> I'd be, I can't. Can't wait to be that at way. At the Statesman, we uh, we changed like uh, systems, back end systems, like three times. Yeah. You know, and like watching Kirk Bowles learn how to like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like it made me feel so much better. But at the same time, it was like, uh, this is a preview. Right. I'm, like I'm right. headed this way. Like I can't even make fun of them because like I'm I'm 36 and I'm like, y'all like, changing it again? Like I just learned how to do this. It's coming. It's coming soon. So by the way, I mentioned we are definitely live right now. Just kidding. This is pre-recorded because. <laughs> We are at Big 12 Media Days, if you are watching this right now on YouTube or Facebook, which we'll talk about. We'll talk about Big 12 Media Day. We'll get into some headlines. Uh, got some Lamar news, right? So all you FCS guys out there, we got some Lamar Woo. news coming. We'll discuss a coach's poll, which is Craven's way of trying to piss off Twitter in a different way than he's usually doing. Uh, we'll be discussing that. <laughs> we'll be discussing that uh, coach's power poll in a bit as well. And then later on, we'll be talking to Joe Hoyt of the Dallas Morning News. We uh, recorded an interview with him over the SMU Mustangs and what to expect from them. They've been kind of on the hot recruiting trail ever since Rhett Lashley uh, got into the big chair in up there in University Park. So let's get into some headlines right away. Let's go with Lamar. Let's get some FCS news out of the way. Lamar, if you remember a couple years ago, left the Southland for the WAC last year. Well, they're they're they're, they're back in the Southland again. <laughs> uh, news deja vu. Originally in April, they made the new. They're just like, okay, in 2023, we're going back to the Southland. Well, some things happened. Uh, I believe they got a new AD as well. In just uh, just confirmed this past July or the beginning of this month, and now they're expediting that move and they're joining the Southland right again in 2022. Uh, Craven, what was kind of your your opinion when you saw that come across? 
Well, when I first saw it come across my heart sink, yeah, uh, because we put out a magazine every summer, yeah, and Lamar is not in the Southland section, <laughs> right? Uh, so that was uh, that was the first thing I thought of because that's where my life is right now. Sure. I, anytime a transfer portal happens, it's or like, a well, change, that's not like, ah, <laughs> man, like it's too late. Uh, so that that part was was hard. Um, you know, and it also made me laugh because, like you mentioned, you know, they were in the Southland. They're an original member of the Southland. They leave for the whack, and then it's like a you up text, you know, a couple <laughs> years later. <laughs> right. You know, like, I didn't know what I had, you know, <laughs> right. like, I want to go back. Um, I'm paid, a, you know, a decent amount of money yeah. to keep up with this stuff, and yeah. I, I don't even know if I can keep up with, like, who's in what conference and sure. who's moving to what conference and what year they're supposed to move in mm -hmm. um, to the conference. If you're Lamar, I do think this is a good thing. If, if you're eventually going to be back into the Southland, you know, rip that Band-Aid off and be there as quick as possible. Right. Uh, we talked today on TFT a little bit about this. Mm -hmm. What I think is really nice for so for Lamar and the Southland is it's building a regional footprint. Yes. And conferences are losing that. You know, it's it's becoming less and less about that. And if you're the SEC or the Big 12 or the Big 10, you know, maybe travel money doesn't matter mm -hmm. and building regional stuff doesn't matter because it's all about TV money. Yeah. But if you're Lamar, you know, having Houston Baptist right there, having Incarnate Word, McNeese State, you know, those Louisiana schools, like they're really building this kind of southeast Texas, Louisiana footprint. And at least that gives them an identity. Sure. And it, sure. It, you kind of know what you're getting with the Southland. Um, and so I, I do think it's a good move. It's just going to be one of those things behind the scenes is a headache for the conference offices because now they got to re redo the schedules a month and a half yeah. before the season starts. I also feel, too, we talked a little bit about this on TFT, but these smaller conference moves, they kind of go under the radar mm -hmm. because right now everybody's in flames about the Big Ten, you know, right. all of that Oregon moving and stuff like that. But it's funny, all of these – if you're hearing this for the first time, it's because all of these smaller conferences and all of this realignment in like the FCS ranks or D2 or D3, they just go kind of go under the radar because they don't have big money like the Big Ten or the SEC. So right. and it's just kind of interesting. Yeah, the footprint is good is a good point because we can we'll talk about some more realignment news and how that's kind of kind of eroded that idea of like a college sports, college football in particular being a regional sport. Um, to more of a national mm -hmm. it, it's been going that way but now it's kind of been more official uh one thing i do want to hint on is for lamar um geographically it obviously never made sense for them to move to the whack um but it also competitively did not make sense mm -hmm. football two and nine women's basketball is probably the best performing sport at 14 and 15 men's basketball went two and 27 jeez it was not the WAC is a tough comp. There was already a tough conference before they added SFA and, and Sam Houston and those guys, and now one they get they get back to was it, uh, UIW, HBU, McNeese, Nichols, Northwestern State, Southeastern Louisiana, and now Commerce will be coming in as well. Yeah. That's a much more and the University of New Orleans for non football. That's true. Yes, yeah. that's a good point too. Um, that's a one you, as you mentioned, it was much more geographically stable um, uh, a group of schools, but also like. That's more that I I I look at that and say we can win that conference. That's your peer group. Exactly. Yeah. That is where you should be trying to go. And uh, another another uh, piece I read was that the Battle of the Boot, their rivalry McNeese State's now back on. Right. Um, you have tradition. You mentioned they're an original member of the Southland, so I think it's a good move. I think it I think it's better to expedite the move. Hint hint, Texas Oklahoma. If you're leaving conferences to just to get it done as soon as possible. Bro Oklahoma. Right. <laughs> Because they right. can't pay the fee to get out. Of to Texas wants out. Like, right. Texas is like, we'll pay it today <laughs> right. to like, get out of here. Um, it's like, no, we can't. It's like, oh, we're not leaving without you. Yeah. It's like, I guess we got to, yeah. yeah. 
We're not going to face. We've all had a broke friend. Right. Who, like, you know, <laughs> we, we wanted to go to a concert league. or we wanted to go somewhere. We'll resign a lease yeah. for another year. Yeah. Like, right. it's fine. Yeah. And then yeah. we're moving. Start saving some money, guy. <laughs> um, and I, I, another thing I find interesting is, like, this Southland whack thing reminds me of Conference USA and Sunbelt. Sure, mm-hmm. sure. You know, where yeah. you're kind of, like, battling Trading it members. out. <laughs> right. You're battling it out to see who's on, like, more solid footing. Yep. I think we would both agree the Sunbelt kind of mm-hmm. won that against Conference USA, and it's looking like the Southland's winning that against the WAC, right? Yeah. Like, they got UIW back, now Lamar, Sam Houston's moving up to, mm-hmm. to the FBS ranks in Conference USA. So what is the WAC yeah. moving forward? What does that do for SFA? Do we see SFA start looking to a kind of a new conference in a couple of years? This stuff, you know, fascinating may be the wrong word because it's mostly confusing. Mm-hmm. You know, like sure. when this is going to stop, if it ever stops, is this just the new normal to right. like every year conference realignment stuff? Because I remember as a kid, I know the South, you know, West Conference broke up. But it felt like this stuff was like institutionalized, sure. right? You know, like this is where this is where these guys play. Yep. And over the last couple of years, I think with the pandemic, when people started making schedules on the fly, yep. people realized we don't have to do we can just this. do yeah. So yeah. we can just we can whatever. play whoever we want, and it's yep. all about TV anyway. Mm-hmm. And so uh, yeah, I, I think at the lower level that matters less. And so having some regionalists regionalists to it, I yeah. think, is important. So on that. You know, we did mention some bigger realignment news that dropped while we were out last week. Um, obviously, took college football by storm. Uh, the big domino was UCLA, USC and UCLA joining the Big Ten in 2024, I believe. Yes. Um, I'll give credit where credit's due. Dennis Dodd from CBS Sports was all over this. He basically had, like, that news. He had the Big 12 domino effect, what happens to the Pac-12. So to kind of focus it, right, focus it here. Pac-12 is obviously in limbo, or more or less in limbo, trying to figure out what they're going to do. What I've read is that a lot of their future depends on what Oregon and Washington do. Yep. Mm-hmm. They're the biggest markets, they're the big, or not the biggest markets, but they're the biggest brands right now in that, and they give them a lot of legitimacy. Whatever they decide to do, or even if they decide to stay put, it might not be enough to keep the Pac-12 around. So the Big 12 <laughs> is kind of now in a position of – some advantageous uh, uh, movement. And one of the questions that I saw raised from a lot of, uh, I think it was a 247 piece, it said, so now if you're, if, you're the, if you're the Big 12, right, and Dennis Dodd reported that they're looking to add potentially up to six schools from the Pac-12, or the Pac, uh, yeah, Pac-12. Arizona, Arizona State, Colorado, and Utah were the main ones that were there. Obviously, Colorado's been there before. Uh, they were the one of the teams that left the Big 12 in 2011, 2010. But, now you, now you start to look at, if you're the Pac-12 schools, do you try and hunker down what you have now, right, and maybe add a Boise or whatever they can do? Or do you go to the Big 12 for potentially short-term stability, but the Big 12 is not exactly ironclad either, right? They're ha- right now, you'd probably say they're half former G5 schools, mm-hmm. right? So – Let's kind of keep it to the Big 12 for, for the sake of this podcast and kind of how it impacts the Texas schools and Texas programs. What what do you do if you're if you're if you're given the keys to the Big 12 right now, right? What are the schools that you're like, let's get those guys because right you know, you just got plucked, your two biggest brands just got plucked by and on it on their own and you kind of did a quick patchwork to get something to happen with the AAC and BYU. Um, what are you doing if you're the Big 12? Yeah, I'm being proactive, and I'm I'm killing off the Pac-12. Mm-hmm. You yeah. know, like, I, I assume the Pac-12 is dead, mostly because the West Coast doesn't care about football. Sure. So even if you brought in Boise State and kept it 
you know, over there, right? San Diego State, mm-hmm. maybe you get BYU back or something in theory, right? Like that region just doesn't care about football, especially if you take away USC. Mm-hmm. And so if I'm the Big 12, I'm looking at Arizona, Arizona State, Utah, uh, Colorado, um, and going, hey, come over here and you'll be in a region that values football. Yeah. That may not be the Big Ten or the SEC money-wise, but we're going to be third in terms sure. of media rights because the ACC is going to blow up too. Yeah. Um, so the way I see it is Oregon – and Washington go to the Big Ten. Those schools mm-hmm. I mentioned go to the Big 12. Mm. Clemson, Florida State, Miami go to the SEC, right? And if you're the Big 12, I, I think you can't try to be one of those top two pro, like top two conferences. It's just not going to happen. Sure. Right. Uh, but you can position yourself to be the best of the rest. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think the more proactive you are, and it's tough, you're kind of going through this transition, that Big 12 commissioner, and, you know, this is a tough way to, like, get on the job, right? Sure. He's not even really supposed to start till August 1st, but he's going to be at Big 12 Media Days because there's so much questions going on here. Uh, I, I think it's act now. You got to hit first. You got to go after them. Try to get those four schools. Make it a 16-team conference, and then look to see what the SEC Big Ten does from there. Mm-hmm. Sure, I think that's a good point. I think one of the things I read about the ACC in particular was that they're they're probably not going to make a move because one, they're kind of tapped out, right? There's no, they can't pluck anybody from the SEC. There's nobody really worth adding from anywhere else. Um, but also. And this will be kind of interesting as the TV deals, if they strike new TV deals kind of coming up, they're bound through 2036 in, ter- in terms of member schools will need to defect all their TV revenue if okay. they leave the ACC. And so that'll be interesting when it comes to a Florida State or a Clemson who yeah. maybe can afford to do that, right? But like North Carolina is probably going to stay, mm-hmm. right? If you're not one of those two, those two premier programs, you're probably going to stay put and you're probably just going to have to see what happens around you. If um, I'm Big Ten, I'm reaching out to North Carolina. Oh, sure. Right, exactly. So you get that basketball footprint and Absolutely. all that kind of yep. stuff. Absolutely. Yep. Uh, uh, Kansas, right? You, yep. you try to pluck Kansas from 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 uh, the Big 12. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, but, yeah, I did, I did read that about the ACC, which I thought was really interesting. Um, they also uh, – Dennis Dodd also hinted that no, SEC, no further SEC expansion is probably – uh, necessary right now uh, they have Texas Oklahoma coming in probably 24 it probably should have been this year if you're asking me but you know like you mentioned with Oklahoma the money um, and this isn't just me forcing them onto this show the biggest domino to fall that has not yet is Notre Dame Homer <laughs> it is a Homer pick um, but, <laughs> but no, you're right <laughs> it, 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 it you know what happens with Notre Dame is that the ACC's kind of life raft right because they've been yeah. associated with the acc they're in the acc in basketball mm-hmm. they were the AC, they were in the acc for the COVID season um or do they just go to the big 10 which has always been like the natural uh, fit for them right, yeah. exactly, the natural geographic fit for them they have ties to michigan michigan state penn state all those schools yeah. and that's the other big domino to fall because i think once whoever adds no if the big 10 adds notre dame what's stopping the big 10 and the sec saying cool we got our playoff yeah. Oh, yeah. That's right. where like this at is this, going. Right, yeah. USC and UCLA, boom. There's those, there's those brands. You add Notre Dame. If you add Oregon or Washington, cool. You got Texas and Oklahoma going to the SEC. It's like, well, we don't need Clemson. Right? Yeah. We don't need Tech. Right? Well, we're just like, we're just going to. Well, at that point, if you're Clemson, you got to jump you, on you, board. I was about to you run to that. Right. 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 You exactly. have to. You, yeah, you don't have a they're choice. They're not stopping for you. you right. got to jump to you them. Gotta, so. you have a choice. I will say this before we move on to the next thing. A yeah. lot of this is informed speculation. Sure. Oh, 100%. 100%. You know, and like Matt like Matt Brown mm-hmm. uh, reported the same thing. I, and I talked to, a you know, a bunch of like ADs and coaches around the Big 12. And did they really talk to those six schools right. in a real way, or are those six schools the obvious choices to be discussed in sure, rooms, right? Sure, sure. 
at least on record to me, they're saying that they haven't reached out to those schools mm-hmm. yet. And that, that's yeah. just speculation. And that's like common sense, right? And it probably sure. will happen, but it hasn't happened yet. So for, for listeners out there, for viewers out over these, it's like with NIL, mm-hmm. be very skeptical yeah, of what 100%. you're reading. Cause a lot of it is rumor and innuendo. And one guy says this thing to one reporter and he runs with it. And it's like, ah, I, was I, mean, about to I say, guess d- it's kind of true, but it's not really. Right. It's one just of for the, tweets. Yeah. One of the things that uh, uh, Dennis Dodd mentioned that I didn't mention just because it's not, it's one of the, it's like you mentioned, it's one of those fantasy booking things. It's like when he asked about a potential merger of the Big 12 and the Pac 12. And it's like, makes sense, right? You're the two quote unquote left out conferences. Yeah. So, like, it would make sense to have a relation, but somebody's going to want to eat the other, right? Yeah. Some mm-hmm. One fish is going to want to survive that. Like, you know, we, the Pac 12 tried that alliance with the Big 10 or whatever right. during the pandemic season. And, like, we yeah. saw all that just completely went away Exploded. instantly. This yeah. type of coverage rec- re- reminds me of recruiting stuff. Yeah. Where you like make these informed guesses and treat them as news, and sure. then just like change them as they happen. Right. Like you go if the guy can, ends up committing three months later, you're like, look, I called it in March. I right. told you he was, you know, blah blah. But if he doesn't, you go, well, things change. Right, right, yeah. right. You know, the like, scenario I, it was true him. at the time, and he that's loved all. His visit to that's whatever. all of this stuff, including sure. the Dennis Dodds report. Right. Oh, exactly. It's, it's all. It's all, that's all this stuff is. All he can do is like, ask questions, and all, he's going to report the answers. Right. Like, that's here's all, what he, they're telling me. Here's what they're telling me. Here's what you know, because he's not going to put names to it. Right. It's going to be a big it's gonna be some executive source or some ad source at some school and they're gonna say that he's gonna you know some i'm not not saying he's reporting this but i'm saying like uh the baylor ad says that we should add oregon right right and it's like okay well he's not gonna have a big say in that yeah he's just no he's just his idea and And tomorrow at the big 12 or you know for today yeah people are listening to this like I would imagine, the new Big Twelve commissioner gets up there at eight thirty and puts a fire extinguisher on all this stuff. Right. Yeah. He's gonna be like, "We're set. Yeah. yeah. We're, we're going we're into s- this year. This year, everything else is speculation. We right. haven't reached out to anybody else. Any right. reports are, are false. Yep. Yeah. And my final thought before we move on from this subject: mm-hmm. If you're a smaller G five school, like even a North Texas or a, a school that's staying in mm-hmm. Conference USA, are you sweating a little bit at all of this? New conference realignment, these super conferences that are about to be made. I mean, Craven's Corner. Let's go. Let's go. Oh, I saw All it. right. Let's go, baby. Here's the boom. Parity never existed in college football. Okay. Yeah. Okay. North Texas could never compete for a national championship anyway. Mm-hmm. UTSA could never compete for a national championship anyway. But now Texas, it makes it harder. Texas Tech I think. isn't competing for national championships, right? Yeah. So none of this matters for those schools. Mm. Yeah, it's I guess still you're right. the same 20 schools competing for the same championship and the rest of them are around to give them enough bodies to eat. Yeah. That's all this is, Mm -hmm. right? It's an aquarium with six really big sharks and everybody else is just food Mm -hmm. and none of it mattered, right? Like if you go back through the sixties and seventies and eighties and forties and thirties, college football is a dynasty ran sport. Mm -hmm. It always Mm -hmm. has been. Mm -hmm. There's never been this parody that everybody claims for. And so for all the people who bashed the bowl system and wanted the BCS and wanted a unified national championship, you asked for this. Mm -hmm. This Mm -hmm. was the obvious recourse and destination to getting rid of the regional bowl aspect of college football because people got sick of split national championships and the number one team not playing the number two team they wanted a tournament champion and now everybody's shocked that it turned into the profe- turned into professional sports. Right. Yeah. And by the way, we're not getting March Madness with the football. Right. Like, that's just no, not logical. No. Right? We're not it's, getting a it's 16. It's too big of a sport. It's too big of a sport. It's wear and tear. It takes on too much time. Like, yeah, exactly. Like, There's not. 
in basketball, you only need one or two guys to sure. change the outcome of games. Right. Even in baseball, you get a really good pitching staff and a couple of hitters. Like you can go win the College World Series. Mm-hmm. Coastal yeah. Carolina. Pitt did it. just had their best quarterback right. since Dan Marino, and they mm-hmm. won what the out, I don't know what the bowl they you won. Need like, like fifty <laughs> players. Right. No, they lost. Oh, they lost. They, they lost the bowl game. That's right. To Michigan State. High school. <laughs> so, yeah, but no, that's the point, right? They had the one of the best quarterbacks in the, in the nation. Yeah. They had their best quarterback since Dan Marino, and they didn't sniff the playoff. Right. Like, yep. it's like – Because yeah. there's only so many 6'7", 320-pound maulers that right. you can recruit on the offensive and defensive line. Sure. Like, in basketball, there's a bunch of dudes that can go score 30 points. Right. Uh-huh. You yeah, know? 100%. Like, there's, there's not – like, there's not – like, in New Mexico State, right, Allen's there to score 30 points in a, in a game or whatever. Right. There's not some, like – guard floating around yeah. at New Mexico State I that see would it. start at LSU or something yeah. like that. Like, yeah. they don't exist. There's a finite number of those players. Yeah. Yeah. And there's only 15 to 20 schools that can get enough of those guys in there yeah. to compete at national championship. That's true in 2022. That's true in 2012. That's true in 1960. Yeah. So, like, this whole pants on fire thing yeah. is an over-exaggeration, and it's, it's pretending that college football is something that it never was. And to it was never this. Yeah. My, yeah, my last thing on it will be you will never hear – me and Craven are very staunch anti-playoff, right? Yeah. Because – and let me, let me preface this by saying, one, yes, it helps that we went to G5 schools, right? Mm-hmm. Like we, we, knew that that, we knew that there were haves and have-nots in college football. One, I'm okay with that because my enjoyment doesn't come from Texas State's – a, a, a proximity to the cha- to the championship right. Yeah. right my like Mallory your your proximity to your North Texas proximity to the national championship does not hinder your your enjoyment of mean green football no. right you still enjoy the Mason fine years yes regardless of whether or not he was going to win the Heisman trophy right mm-hmm. so let that be kind of our as three G5 grads on this on this podcast let that be our thing to a lot of fans if this is you know disappointing you and sure fine that's, that's I'm not saying you can't be disappointed that they're losing the regional aspect of it find what you really liked about this and gravitate towards that because i guarantee you that that heart of it that's not changing right if you're a texas fan you can still be pissed when they don't when they fall short of expectations right Mm -hmm. you can still have national title aspirations because you should you're texas whatever a&m same way baylor could you probably be a little annoyed yeah you probably should be right but you can still aim for that big 12 title you can still brag about beating baylor uh, beating tech if you're a Texas State UTSA fan, what's it change for you? Yeah. What does it change for you? Yeah. Like, if anything, cool, point. UTSA plays SMU now. Yeah. That's pretty cool. And if <laughs> anything, this sets up a table for a secondary playoff. Sure. Right? Like, and yeah, exactly. Establish the fact that there are haves and have-nots. Right. Like, right. Instead there, of like, here oh, are 40 schools in the SEC and the Big Ten. Right. Let the other 60 go at it. Sure. And, like, that's fun. That's cool. Like, yeah. that, that creates fun that doesn't exist now because Baylor could win that national championship. We've yeah. seen Baylor left out of the college football playoff. Yeah. Right. You know, because right. perception matters. And I mean, we literally have the, the FBS and FCS. Right. Like the now F- we just need one change. in the middle. Yeah. Right, exactly. Yeah. We just need one like, in the middle. They, they're both Division One. They both give out two different trophies. So, right. anyway. Yeah. We could. This is not. We could go con- all day, but say, this conversation is <laughs> not going away because realignment's not going away. So no. we'll move on for now. But uh, you just know that this is something that that's our stance on this <laughs> overall. <laughs> um, but this isn't the last time we'll discuss this. Obviously. Yeah. All right. Let's get into our first uh, our other segment. Craven, you had rankings. There's one thing to piss off uh, Twitter, or social media. <laughs> it's it's rankings and mm-hmm. saying calling mm-hmm. them official, which mm-hmm. is what we love doing. Right. Uh, so we had a coach's power rankings. Uh, the reason why we're calling it power rankings because we're not calling it these are the best coaches. The best coaches this yeah. is the best whatever. We wanted to kind of 
take a snapshot of the current landscape of college football and say these are the coaches that are right now performing the best in their respective fields, right. things like that. Because I hate saying best, right? Because sure. if you put Dave Aranda at Rice, right? Like, like yeah, is he going to be the same? No. Right. Yeah. Not right. If you put Mike Bloomgren at A and I'm right. sure he's going to do a little if bit. Mike, better, you know. Let me, let me say this: If Mike Bloomgren wins eight games, he's being top three in this power. <laughs> uh-huh. Like, like yes. 100%. regardless, yes. like, we're, like we're this, it does not there. matter. Yeah. Jimbo could win the national title; he'll go number one, and the number two is going to be Mike right. Bloomgren. Exactly. Like, so, Mallory, if we can throw up the yes. uh, graphic that we have. Of course, this is on our social media page. It's on our Instagram. Uh, it's at DCTCFB on Twitter as well. Uh, Mike Craven, I'm just going to go ahead and get this started off. Uh, what was the hardest ranking? Because obviously coming off their historic recruiting season, Jimbo Fisher was pretty easy to put at number one. Uh, Dave Aranda winning the Big 12. Jeff Trail, of course, winning Conference USA. Was there anyone where you're like, this one's too high or too low, or am I being too harsh on this guy? I think Sark was the toughest one mm. to like find. I feel like the top four – we're pretty set. Sure. It yeah. was just a matter of kind of what order you wanted to put those guys right. in, right. right? Like Baylor just won a Big 12 championship, UTSA won a Conference USA championship, Houston went to the American, Jimbo Fisher's the only coach in the state with a national title, mm-hmm. right? So like those four guys I feel like have separated themselves into the tier. Where do you put Sark? Sure. You know, like he has only been a head coach a few times. It hasn't worked out for him yet. Uh, I think we all agree he's like an offensive genius. Mm-hmm. You know, like where does he sit next to Sonny Dykes or a Dana Dimmel, right? And then you get to that next group of, you know, Rhett Lashley, Joey McGuire, who haven't coached in college football before. Um, and so for me, it's just, you know, maybe Dykes deserves to be five because he's had more success as a, as a college coach, you mm-hmm. know, yeah. than Sark did. But there's a reason Sark keeps getting all of these big jobs. Yep. You know, it's because people within the industry know that he, he can coach some football. And also know? part of being a good, coach, good college coach is the recruiting aspect. Right? Yeah. And Sark's knocked it out of the park so far. Like this 2022 class, he went and scooped up as many linemen as he could, right? He obviously got Quinn Ewers in in the building. He obviously he has dynamite players coming back. So it's like it's almost like what we expect from them too. Yeah. Right? We expect a marked, sure. st- a marked step forward right. from Texas this But year. if somebody was to reply back and be like, Sonny Dykes deserves to be above Steve Sarkeesian because he's won a conference title before and gone to bowl games sure. and all that kind of stuff, fine. Yeah. You know, like you're not going to get a ton of argument from me there. Sure. Did you have any issues with that number one spot? Because we got a lot of replies saying that people think that Dave Aranda has been more successful, I guess, last year than uh, Jimbo Fisher. Yeah, I mean, I think that would be recency bias. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, like, um, one, SEC is a lot tougher um, to to win in. I would say Aranda is still winning with Matt Rule's players, at least he was last year. A lot of those guys who won that that title. I was about to say, that's a good point because we can't – as much as it wasn't his fault necessarily – Miranda did win what two games his first year? Yeah, they went two and seven. Yeah, right. Like so Jeff it's like, so recency in. bias. Yeah, <laughs> for, exactly. For yeah. switching the card up a right. little bit. Right. So it's like they, he went from again that Matt Rule team that won the that that uh, competed for the Big Twelve. Like that was not that was not the same team exactly. Right. They right. lost a lot of key players in that team. But it was still like they took there was a, it was a big pitfall and then they went then they hit the ceiling. Dave Aranda did the best. Co- Dave Aranda and Jeff Trailer did the best coaching jobs of twenty twenty one. Yes. Right. Jimbo Fisher has won a national title. Right. Like, he got a 10-year contract from yeah. A&M for a reason. Like, he's an established head coach. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. Dave Aranda is on his way to doing that. Yeah. And Dave Aranda is going to be, like, the first name off of everybody's lips every time a major job opens for the next three or four years. Yeah. Right? And Baylor fans are going to have to deal with that, and that's probably a good position to be in. That means your coach is really awesome. Yep, and that means he gets some bio money. <laughs> but Jimbo has to be number one. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. until somebody else wins at that level in the state, he has to be – he just has to be number one. He's still winning eight games in the SEC without a quarterback in a bad year. I mean, he beat yeah. Alabama last year. Like, 
Right. Jimbo Fisher knows what he's doing. I was about to say sure. he did something that no other Saban assistant's done, which is beating Nick Right. Like, I mean, yeah. he, he know. I, I know that they're not as sexy maybe as Baylor or UTSA coming out of last year, but sure. Jimbo Fisher is still, you know, kind of the goat in the state in terms of college football coaching, just because of how much he's accomplished over his career. Yeah. No, I agree. Like, again, and that didn't even include the recruiting aspect, right? They, uh-huh. according to a lot of the metrics, that was the best recruiting class we've seen, right? And you could you could argue about whatever resources he had or did or didn't have or whatever boosters were giving him. Look, a not the only program in the state with money, right? right? No. They're not the only program in the nation with money, right? And it doesn't make everything easier. No, like, not at all. I, I think Jeff Trailer's job's easier than, Nick, than Jimbo Fisher's, sure, right? For like, sure. I mean, now there's some difficulties that Jeff Trailer has to deal with that Jimbo Fisher doesn't with right. money and budget and all Let's that put, kind I mean, of stuff. I mean, Jeff, Jeff Trailer could win six games for the next 10 years and be fine. Yeah, I mean, like just six compete. to eight, six right. to eight games. He's like, oh, cool. Yeah, right. stay at UTSA. Yeah, A and M's running him out of town. Right, you go eight six. and four every year at A and M, and you're overrated. Right, you go eight and four everywhere at UTSA, and they're you're building Kevin a statue. Getting fired. Like, <laughs> like Jeff Trailer's going to have two stadiums named after him if right. he keeps For doing that statue. Kind of stuff. Right. So, like, the expectations and just leading a program of that size that mm-hmm. that's a Fortune 500 company. Sure, you know, sure. and Jimbo has to be the head of that. Right. Uh, that's challenging within itself. That's a lot of pressure. And it's something yeah. that only experienced, established coaches could handle. You know, like, Dave Aranda is still figuring out how to talk to the media. And yeah. He'll, he'll admit that. Sure. At A&M, there's no figuring that out. Right. Like, you're in front of that you better be every good. single day. You're expected day. to be right. like, that's your camera job. ready all the time. Like, you are, you are the, you're Michael Dell, mm-hmm. right? Like, you are the head of a program. That's hard to do. And I think we undersell. Like, that's, what, that's why Nick Saban is so – like undisputed as the greatest of all time. Mm-hmm. Right. That kind of level of consistency at a program that demands that kind of like challenge is just hard, mm-hmm. you know? And so and to consistently perform like he right, does year right. after year, there's only five or 10 guys that can run programs like that. Uh-huh. Jimbo has established himself as one of those. And until that's not true, I think he deserves to be the top guy in the state. Yeah. All right. So a question from me in, in speaking for our uh, G five little guys here. Why are you in the pocket of Big Red Lashley? And why is he ranked above <laughs> Seth Luttrell, Jake Spavadol, and Mike Bloomgren? <laughs> Mostly because he hasn't failed yet. Sure. You know, it was like those three guys are on the hot seat. Yeah. You know, Rhett Lashley has a couple years. Mm-hmm. Like, Rhett, if SMU goes 4-8 and eight this year, Rhett Lashley is the coach next year. Mm-hmm. If Seth Luttrell goes 4-8 and eight, or Jake Spavadol goes 4-8 or right. Mike Bloomingham goes 4-8, and eight, they're probably not here next right. year. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, that I guess that was a tough one, right? It's like, do I just put Rhett and Joey right. at the very bottom uh-huh. because yeah, they, McGuire, they, yeah. they haven't done that yet? Right. But in my head, it was almost like a ranking of security. Sure, that's like fair. Like, here, here, tw- here are 12 coaches in the FBS, and I'm going to rank them in terms of job security. Mm. You know, Jimbo is one. Right. You know, like, Mike Bloomgren's 12. And right. I, I just kind of I, there's no, it's a subjective list. Sure, hundred you know? percent. Yeah. So like, there's going to be you know, however you approach this is going to change your list. But for me, it was like, let's rank it based on, you know, who's most likely to get fired or not fired. Yeah, no, that's fair. Um, like I said, this is on this is on our Instagram, uh, Instagram.com/slash Dave Campbell. This is on uh, our, our college Twitter, uh, DCTCFB. So if you want to go comment, all that, join the conversation. We encourage. Th- you'll notice these kind of graphics coming from us. And, and if you've got ideas for them, exactly, please you've do. Got ideas, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Let us know because th- this is to start conversation, right? This is to get some things going in the Twitter mentions, the Instagram mentions, whatever. Like the, like Craven said, these are these are opinion pieces, right? This mm-hmm. isn't us saying this is the definitive list or whatever. We could do this list after week one and do overreactions and be like, wow, yeah. Jimbo Fisher lost. He's right. 
eighth now, yeah. right? Like, you where just, would Holgerson have been after week one last oh year? Oh my god, yeah, exactly. You know? And so, yeah, this one on that hot seat <laughs> this uh-huh. section right there. So <laughs> two months, this changes. Yeah, exactly. That's so, the nature of the business. This won't be the first time you see a poll like this. It won't be the first time you see this specific poll. Mm-hmm. It'll be changing as the season goes along. So, the one I want to do next or uh-huh. soon is game day atmospheres. Yeah, that's a good one. So is any, if anybody's got some opinions on that or how they'd rank those, send them in to me. And I'll I was about to say, to we're going to see a lot of bias here. Well, I was going to say, no, you want to you want to piss off a certain fan base. Put A&M 2. <laughs> <laughs> just, just not Texas 1. Texas 1. <laughs> <laughs> just something, somebody not A&M uh, 1. Yeah. <laughs> and right. just like yeah. that's immediately we're, we're, traffic we're gonna, everywhere. <laughs> we're going to throw Texas State at number 1. Like, <laughs> Go, UTSA at two, hey, A&M at three. Listen, that <laughs> river no, in There's no nice. other stadium. I was about to say, San Marcos, one, nice. Also, number two, you want to see a pop-it in place that uh, after halftime, go to the square, baby. Because <laughs> yeah, all yeah. those people are gone, and they are at the square as somebody who used to go to those like, games. hey, were you at the football game? Like, a football game? <laughs> I was at the, the square pregame. Yeah, that's that's right. Bobcat Stadium. Is that that's why everybody's even. drinking so much today? Okay, that's cool. Everybody, it's the Tech State tradition. Tailgate. Uh, first quarter square. <laughs> that's that's it, baby. Let's go. Half of the first quarter, maybe. You can't get that anywhere else in the state, so, so that might be number one. UTSA so. is likely number one on my list because there's AC. You know, hey, you know what? That's, that's not bad. Mm, that's that's pretty they good. They sell alcohol that's, inside there, including margaritas and so all that's, that kind that's of stuff. Like, like, you're not too. going anywhere, right? Like, after, like, where you gonna, like where are you going to go? Out, like you can't leave the Alamo Dome. Right. Like, right. like yeah. once you make the decision hey. to go there, right? It's you like, may just convince keep drinking me. Here. I was about to say you're number one. Like, yeah. Honestly, like jokes aside, I think the conversation between top two is A and M and Texas Tech. Jones, Jones Stadium at night when tech is good That's is good really yeah. hard to beat. Like, that is point. like back in those Crabtree years and yeah. stuff like that. Like that yeah. place is awesome. That's a great point. All right, we'll leave that one at that, and we will get into our segment, but uh, our interview with Joe Hoyt. But before we do, I remind you that we are live Wednesdays, two p.m. Mm-hmm. Reminder to subscribe at TexasFootball.com. Uh, subscribe to our podcast. Of course, you're still listening to us via those podcast uh, avenues, uh, Spotify, Apple. That's great. Please continue to do that. But if you want to join the conversation with us live, right? Uh, Craven's got it right here. There you go. <laughs> and if you want to get, <laughs> there you go. Uh, the magazine is out, and so uh, well, it's, it's slowly getting out to, to retail. Uh, subscribers should be getting their magazine, by the yes. way. Yes. So that's uh, another incentive for you to subscribe at TexasFootball.com. If you want more things that make you upset and you want to read more of Mike Craven's stuff, (laughs) please become a subscriber. Um, But, yes, please join the conversation with us. We're trying to grow this live show. Uh, uh, Facebook, Twitter, uh, 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 Twitch, YouTube. I'm trying to get all the apps. I think that's all of them. You you got it. I was about to say. Website, too, I think. Oh, yeah, that's right. Mm -hmm. Textable.com. You can watch us live there. (laughs) So if you want to continue to do that or if you want to go through the audio, you've got options now. We're trying to make this thing happen. So without further ado, we are going to get into our interview with Dallas Morning News, very own Joe Hoyt, the beat writer of SMU. Football, basketball, all that stuff, but obviously we'll be talking just football with him. So without further ado, here's Joe Hoyt. So here with Joe Hoyt of the Dallas Morning News to talk SMU football. Sir, appreciate your time. Of course, Mike. Always good to talk with you. How's your offseason been going? It's been good. Good. A lot of baseball um, in the offseason. Um and then obviously just trying to keep track of a lot of transfers, a lot of movement in today's news, a lot of realignment stuff too. So I guess we're going to have to get back on that train. But yeah. uh, it's been good. 
It was uh, it was mostly a joke because I know you don't get an off season. You know, you, you, you go you go from one season to the next. But to to talk about SMU football, you know, I think the big news over the off season, obviously, Sonny Dykes going to TCU. Rhett Lashley comes in. From your standpoint, what are your kind of initial reads or reactions on on Coach Lashley and the staff he's put together? Yeah, I think I think it's probably the first time in history that a uh, head coach was announced before the other coach actually was gone. So I think that that was interesting. Um, obviously, you know, there's a lot of familiarity with Red Lashley. And I think anytime a coach goes from, you know, to their first head coaching role, it's kind of a, hey, let's see how this ship kind of runs. You know, let's kind of get a familiarity for it and see how it goes. And I think in spring, a big thing that Red Lashley had to do was make sure that he was able to retain players and not let them hit the transfer portal. And I think that was his biggest challenge. And to his to his credit and to the staff's credit, they did a good job at that. Obviously, they lost Ulysses Bentley couple weeks into spring practice um he's now at Ole Miss that's a huge loss you know but then they were able to bring in another guy like Kamar Whedon who's now enrolled and we'll see him come come summer which in a couple weeks um but I think that was kind of the big challenge and I think there's still in regards to the the Rhett Lashley head coaching experience a lot of unknown um anytime there's a new first-time head coach obviously that comes with it and I think that's going to be one of the storylines heading this summer and, and into the initial first few weeks of fall you know, from somebody who watched some spring practices and were, was around the team, I, I think from the outside, everybody just assumes this SMU team is going to look the exact same, right? That Rhett Lashley is just coming in and he's going to run the same offense, same defense. You know, from what you've seen, are there going to be some differences in kind of the philosophy and the schemes that are being ran? Yeah, I think, um, you know, from a similar standpoint, I think if you go back a couple of years to when he was an OC at SMU, you know, I think that kind of high-powered offense, obviously that's something Sonny Dykes like to do as well. But I think there were some unique nuances and some differences. I think the tempo was definitely a little bit picked up under Rhett last year, and I think you're going to see SMU go back to that a little bit. Um, you know, their receiver depth is probably about 10 deep. Um, so you're going to see a lot of cycling there. Um, and I think defensively, under new defensive coordinator Scott Simons, you're going to see some defensive switches as well. I think one thing that they kind of strayed away from last year a little bit, and obviously was the one and only year of Jim Levitt, um, but was a little bit, you know, they weren't as blitz happy. You know, it was kind of, you know, it was very man on an island on the outside. And to be honest, that kind of generated a, some high passing offense against them. I think that this year they're going to be a little bit more toolsy when it comes to their blitz packages. I'd expect some guys, you know, I think, you know, you might see Brian Massey, who's, you know, who was a returner, um, all-conference returner last year. I think in a more safety blitz role, he might come downhill. I'm really curious to see how Cameron Farrar, uh, you know, former Skyline guy who went to Oklahoma State, is now transferred in. I think he could be a really big asset in a blitz package. I'm just curious to see kind of what Scott Simons does on defense, and I think that's where you might see the most difference. Yeah, I think that was an excellent hire by Coach Lashley, uh, bringing him in. You kind of hit on the transfer portal and the amount of success SMU's had, and that's not new, right? Sonny Dykes had a lot of success in the transfer portal. Just being in the city of Dallas, and there's just so much talent here, and a lot of it goes elsewhere, and you know, people want to you know, kind of a restart, get a new lease on life, and come back home. Like, How important is that for SMU football? Because it seems like when people talk about the transfer portal, it tends to be in a negative light. But for a team like SMU, it seems to be a very positive, you know, point of their program. Yeah, you know, I think the saying always with recruiting is kind of that's the lifeblood of your program, right? Well, I think the transfer portal is the lifeblood of SMU's program. It's funny because, you know, they've had a couple of decommitments recently, and I was kind of looking at their recruiting. And if you kind of talk to SMU fans, a common thing they'll tell you anytime someone leaves is, okay, we'll see them in two to three years. Um, and it's just kind of the mentality now. It's just, hey, you know, if, it's not, it's you recruit players, you have them on official visits, not for 
you know, for their freshman and sophomore seasons, but for when they hit the transfer portal and kind of are looking for options, it's kind of a four-year uh, recruiting experience rather than a one-year and then hope for the best, you know, for you to stay. So <clears throat> I think it's a huge asset for them. Obviously they got, <clears throat> excuse me, obviously they got a lot of guys from Texas that come in this year. You know, a lot of guys from DFW that are coming back. Uh, Kamar Wheaton, you know, is obviously the big factor. If he can, if he can be what he was in high school and what many thought he could be at Alabama, and then he could be obviously one of the conference's best running backs here, you know? And so there's, there's a lot to alike when it comes to SMU strategy in the transfer portal. And I think it's their best strategy. You know, it's, I find it ironic, right? Like SMU football was kind of killed, you know, because of paying players and all that kind of stuff. And now with NIL, you can kind of lean into that. I've seen some graphics with like the Thunderbird and all that kind of stuff, like just for the city of Dallas, how nice and, and important is it to have SMU as like in the forefront of college football and like a real player in college football? Like, have you seen the city kind of gravitate more towards that than maybe, you know, five, 10 years ago? Yeah, I don't think it's an accident that uh, one of the first people introduced at Red Lashley's introduction was not him, but was Eric Johnson, the mayor of Dallas. Um, and I think that he obviously that there's, you know, with the triple D and all that stuff, there's a there's a connection there. And I, I think the city of Dallas wants SMU to be kind of on the uprise again. And I think obviously SMU would love to partner with the city of Dallas and kind of, you know, showcase what kind of business options there are. They have their life after ball program. They have a really affluent alumni base. And I think that those are things that they can definitely sell in regards to the name, image and likeness. They do have a grassroots collective that is definitely paying, you know, a lot of players currently on the roster with, you know, smaller deals, obviously not the grand scale, you know, seven figure deals that we're talking about with other places. Um, but I think that's somewhere that SMU fans hope to get to eventually. They're not there yet. Um, but, you know, in regards to the city of Dallas and just kind of the connection there, I think the city of Dallas is growing. And I think SMU is kind of hoping that they can grow with it. You know, just to kind of touch on that a little bit more, like with Houston leaving and Cincinnati leaving and the new American kind of being, you know, right for the picking, for lack of a better phrase, like how much of an advantage does Dallas and SMU have with that alumni base that you talked about? I guess, what is the ceiling for them and that new look American? Yeah, I mean, I think that SMU fans would tell you that it's to be the perennial contender, to be the champion. To, I mean, the hopefully, SMU fans are hoping that the moment those schools leave, even, even the last year with them, that they can contend for American conference titles. Um, you know, I think if you look at where the college football playoffs going, Obviously, you know, we'll have to see what happens with realignment and a potential mega conferences that could be coming. But in regards to the CFP possibly expanding in the future, obviously, there's going to be a group of five component to that. And how do you be that group of five representative? Well, you dominate in the group of five. I think SMU sees a field of teams where they on the football field think they could dominate um, and they could be the way that Cincinnati was the last couple of years, the way that UCF used to be the way that Houston was, I think that they see themselves as that potential uh, next step. And obviously it has to get done on the field though, which um, is kind of, it brings a lot of intrigue to the first couple weeks, couple months of the Red Lash experience. To talk about this team a little bit before we let you go, like, I think you touched on it a little bit earlier, but what do you consider the strength of the offense? Is it that wide receiver core, which is how much they've added, how much they have coming back? I, I'd say the wide receiver core, especially when you kind of look at the, the veterans that are coming in. Um, you know, I think Bo Corrales is a very intriguing name. I think he's a big body guy. I think one thing that Rob Likens and Red Lash you kind of want to do is really utilize the back shoulder throw and kind of the more possession kind of base routes on the outside. And I think that, you know, having a six, three guy like that, who's 
who's done it at, at University of North Carolina is an asset. Um, I think their running back room has also the potential to be really, really good. I mean, if you look at Trey Siggers, he was everything they asked for and more last year. Um, very dependable. And I think that's a guy that, you know, if you talk about floors versus ceilings in regards to potential, he brings a lot of high floor to the entire group. TJ McDaniels, a guy that, you know, <laughs> broke his leg, hasn't played in a long time, had to kind of took an alternate recovery route and is now practicing again. I mean, what can you get out of him? Brandon Epton's a guy they like. Tyler Levine's back as well. And then obviously Kamara Whedon. Um, I think the big question offensively is their offensive line group. Um, a lot of questions there. New, obviously, staff coming in. Um, you know, they lost some stalwarts there. Um, they brought some some transfers in that have a chance to compete. I think that is the big unknown, and I think that's the big catalyst when it comes to whether their offense will go or not. And then obviously quarterback, um, you know, it, you have a guy that broke school records last year, and then you have an All-American recruit under a new that was recruited by the new head coach. And that's something that is going to have to be figured out in spring. Um, in fall camp. Yeah. We've had this conversation kind of like off, off record before and stuff. Like how much do you expect to see Preston stone? Cause I, I'm a jaded cynical person. I think anybody who knows me at all knows that about me. And I guess I looked at the Tanner Mordecai Preston stone kind of spring battle as a, a way to keep Preston stone around. Like, do you think that he, he gets some packages or gets some looks or Rhett like really gives him some drives and meaningful games early on in the season to kind of prove why he stuck around at, at SMU. I think that cynicism is very valid in this case, um, especially when you consider that last year's, the previous head coach, you know, only went 40 miles west. Um, and, and then they have some quarterback questions as well. I think hypothetically, if a quarterback was named in spring, which obviously no coach would do, I mean, you know, that, that puts at risk the potential of losing one of those guys. So obviously everyone wants to play, and these are two guys that want to play. Um, you know, I almost feel every time I talk about the quarterbacks, I kind of almost feel like it's almost a little bit of disrespect to Tanner Mordecai because he did so well last year. You know, obviously had a couple of moments, you know, a couple of hiccups where it's like, oh, you know, decision-making, probably shouldn't have done it, but he broke school records for a reason. He was, he was fantastic, all things considered, last season. But it's also you got to give – credit to the, to the player Preston Stone is, this is a guy that turned down Alabama, that turned down Texas, that turned down multiple other schools to stay home at SMU and to be a superstar here. I mean, this his his expectations and the expect, expectations for those around him are high. So obviously he wants to play as well. Um, I, I'm curious to see where it goes. I think it is a legitimate competition, um, you know, which, you know, hey, the old saying is, you know, Having two quarterbacks isn't good. You know, you, you want one good one, um, you know, but I, I, I'm fascinated to see where it actually goes and to see how it plays out. I, the, the possibility of them mixing and matching early on in the season, I don't think is, is a crazy idea um, for that reason that you said. Yeah, I wonder, especially because the, the schedule lines up, at least on paper, to where, you know, you should win those couple games. I wonder if Preston Stone's given like the third series or something like that on, on a couple of those games. You know, to flip over the defensive side, when I was there doing magazine stuff, I talked to Jimmy Phillips, and he was very candid about like, when you think of SMU football, you think of the offense, and we need to change that. What do you see from the defense in terms of improvements in 2022 beyond just like Coach Simons and what he brings? Yeah, I think – you know, we talked about how deep the receivers are. I think <clears throat> actually the best position group on this SMU team might be its defensive line. I think Devere Levelston is a first-team all-conference guy, potential NFL guy. I think Elijah Chapman is another potential NFL interior defensive lineman. 
Turner Cox, who's coming off shoulder surgery, was fantastic on the edge last year. I think he might slide in a little bit more, maybe play a little bit more, um, you know, kind of a power look there. And I think, you know, that they have, if you kind of go back to Scott Simon's tenure, you know, previously, they got after the quarterback. And I think that they're going to want to do that, obviously, this year, too. I think their linebacking cores, you know, got a lot of options. Shannon Reed transferred in from Illinois State. He's a guy with a lot of experience. Um, you know, I, it, I, I think that there's a lot of talent there with Jimmy Phillips, like you mentioned, I think corner is the big, <laughs> is the big question again. Um, you know, and ideally when you start two freshmen on corners, including one guy who had literally never played corner in Bryce McMorris until he played corner in uh, division one college football. I think the whole intention with that is there's going to be growing pains, but there's the potential for big rewards. Um, you know, I think that they're hoping for a jump from year one to year two for those guys. And they obviously have the talent. Jahari Rogers had, you know, is extremely talented, was a guy at Florida, had the biggest hit in the spring game, um, absolutely decked a guy. And that's something that, you know, is not necessarily you'd think in his toolbox if you kind of look at, you know, what kind of tools he has. Uh, so I, I think that there's – I think that's the big, you know, catalyst is how the secondary shows up. But I think everywhere else they got a lot of talent. All right, to put you on the spot before we go, if I set that over and under at eight – wins which way are you which way are you heading that on that one i think if you said eight and a half it would have it would have hurt me more i I, i'm gonna go over um you know i think that but that you know that's also contingent on some big wins there clearly um you know i think if you're gonna go over eight uh you gotta beat tcu uh (laughs) which will obviously be a fun fun game when that comes um you know maybe steal a road game against maryland i think you know their whole goal is to be you know, the leader of the American conference, not only in the future, but this year. And to do that, you're going to have to have a quality first year from the first time head coach, Rhett Lashley. And you're going to have to have, you know, a quarterback play that can really carry this team with a lot of weapons. So um, I'm going to go over for optimistic standpoint that obviously could change by the time my final predictions come in fall. Um, so I'm kind of hedging my bet there a little bit, but, um, but yeah, I think that ideally they'd like to go over. Yeah, that, I found the toughest part of the magazine was coming up with records and stuff like that in May. You know, it's like, how do you how do you even like predict that kind of stuff? Like on a scale of one to like how in terms of like games you've covered so far on the SMU beat, is the 2022 Battle of the Iron Skillet going to be the, the top? I mean, how how excited, how how fun do you think that atmosphere is going to be there at Ford Stadium? So here's the irony is I have a I have a buddy of mine I grew up with who didn't go to a college football school, which means he's getting married and he decided to have a wedding in the fall uh, as a groomsman. So I I I, I think that that is going to have the most intrigue of any college football game aside from a college football playoff game that I've ever covered. I think the idea of a head coach going across the street to a rival is something that is that doesn't happen, you know, and I, I think obviously there's, you know, there's reasons for it, but it just it's something that doesn't happen very often. And I think that it just brings a whole new level of excitement to that game, a game that if you go back a year ago, you know, resulted in a flag planting, resulted in, you know, a coach getting knocked over who, you know, who one coach thought it was blame the other team and said they hit him and then video. I mean, there was that there was Zap Ruder film, I swear, from that uh, from that incident. Um, so there was there was already going to be so much intrigue, whether or not Sunny Dyke stayed or left or even left for another school. And the fact that it's, you know, a coach that built up a program and went to another one across the street makes it so interesting. 
Yeah, I'm excited. College football can kind of get buried in DFW just because there's just so many things happening, so many teams, so many different sports going on. But I think this TCU-SMU rivalry is going to be really great for the, for the area. And I think I could make an argument that both schools are better off, you know, today than they were, you know, this time last year because I think, you know, Rhett's going to be there for a little bit. So appreciate you coming on. And, uh, yeah, we'll see you throughout the year, probably at that SMU-TCU game. <laughs> of course. Sounds good, Mike. Thanks again to Joe Hoyt from the Dallas Morning News. Always one of our good friends in the industry. Uh, one of the best guys out there. If you want to read his work, go check that stuff out. Let me see. I should have had his Twitter brought up. You guys can go follow him as well. But uh, if you're not subscribed to the DMN right now for anything SMU, TC related, what are you doing? Uh, <laughs> Joe, Ho- Joe J. Hoyt on Twitter. So. First thing I did when I moved to Dallas. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, like, hell, I can acknowledge. Uh, obviously, we're rivals in terms of uh, coverage and, and things like that. But I can acknowledge that they do a pretty damn good job because of guys like Joe Hoyt. So, oh, yeah. No shame, in He's th- great. no shame in admitting that. All right, Mallory, we got some SMU stuff to talk about. What you got for us? Yeah, we sure do. Let's go ahead and go with – do we see a little bit of both Tanner Mordecai and Preston Stone play at quarterback this year? Yeah, that's a tremendous question. That mm-hmm. that's To me, this is the, the biggest storyline of the offseason for SMU. Every time I talk to Joe um, – you know, or even like the coaches at SMU and stuff like that. It's like, no, this is a quarterback battle. Preston Stone is really good. He's going to get – I just don't believe it. I was about to say, no. Like, it's tra- Preston Stone, please don't transfer. He, he's going to get – right. He's going to get some playing time, <laughs> yep. you know, uh, you know, and blowouts and stuff like that. But for me, it's just hard to imagine you have a guy who threw for as many yards as, as Tanner Mordecai did, who played as well as Tanner Mordecai did, and you're going to give like Preston Stone, let's say, the third series of every first quarter sure. or something like that. Like right. that just seems like this, a hard thing to do to build continuity right. under a first-year head coach in the transfer portal age. You have to build that competition at every mm-hmm. position. But if Tanner Mordecai is healthy, Tanner Mordecai is taking all of the important snaps for SMU in my opinion. Yeah, sure. I think I think I agree. I think the one thing you see that you don't the one thing you see in quarterback battles that you don't see here is like the obvious ceiling with one and the obvious upside with the other. Yeah. Now I'm not saying Preston Stone can't eventually be better, potentially, right? He was a very highly touted recruit, but one, so was Tanner Mordecai. Um, you look at Oklahoma last year with Spencer Rattler versus Caleb Williams. You mm-hmm. saw the big difference. You go back to Alabama with Jalen Hurts and Tua, right? You saw the ceiling under Hurts. You saw the ceiling under Tua, and you went with Tua. It's not that situation here, right? We're Tanner Mordecai is not tapped out by any means, and mm-hmm. we do not know what Preston Stone right now does in live fire. So I think that – and it's, I find it hard to believe that we'll get to – or uh, Bahannon and Shapin is another good example at Baylor. Yeah. I don't think we'll get to a point where – it's like, oh, man, Tanner Mordecai's struggling. Well, we got to go with Preston Stone. Like, he's going to take us to that next level. Maybe, but I don't see a, any evidence to even suggest that right now. Yeah, like SMU's hosting TCU on September 24th. I just I, I just don't see you putting Preston Stone out there, sure, you yeah, know, no. in the first, to second start quarter. Off with, like, yeah. It just, it what just I, doesn't make much sense. To what me. I hope that you see with Preston Stone, and I'm, I'm assuming that this is what Rad Lashley is doing, is eventually you'd be like, look. This job is yours yep. once he leaves, right? But right now, like if I'm assuming they'll have that conversation week one or week two, right, when the quote-unquote battle is settled officially. But that's when you put your arm around him. It's like, hey, look, you're here. for You're our guy when this thing, when he moves on, right? Maybe after this year if he blows up and has a great year or one more year, whatever. But, like, you're our guy. Like, just know that. Do this, will that work? I don't know. Maybe. People transfer. It's whatever right now. But that's the best you can do if you're asking me right now. I will say this. Preston Stone is Rhett Lashley's guy. Sure. Yeah. You know, because, yeah. like, 
he recruited was the, him. Yeah, yeah, he was the OC at SMU when Preston Stone's you know recruitment was first getting heated up. Like Rhett Lashley, like picked Preston Stone as the guy to run SMU's offense, yep. and so I would imagine his skill set lends perfectly to what Rhett Lashley's doing. That gives him uh, you know a hand up. But Tanner played so well last year sure. that I just don't, I just can't see it. I. I, without injury or without some early season struggles, it just feels like it's Tanner Mordecai's job, and it should be Tanner Mordecai's job. Yep. Let's go with – this one's kind of a fun one. Can this team start and also finish strong? Because we saw them start strong last year. Mm-hmm. They kind of fell off just a little bit towards the end of the season. That was mm-hmm. kind of the bugaboo yep. under, under Sonny Dykes. You know, they, they had incredibly – I mean, I used to have the stat memorized in my head. But, yeah, they started 7, 8, and 1 pretty much every single you know year mm-hmm. of the last three or four years, and then were something like – two and 10 in November and it was something right. bad like that. So yeah, I mean, you need to finish. And what I think that showed is how bad the defense was sure. yeah. to be more consistent, especially as the colder months come and conference play comes and the schedule gets tougher and tougher. You need your defense to be there. Yep. And SMU, you know, when I went there to do the magazine stuff, I interviewed their linebacker, Jimmy Phillips. And he was, he said this without provocation. He goes, when you think of SMU football, you think of the offense, mm-hmm. we have to change that. Yeah. And so I think, you know, the offense is going to score a lot of points. Can the defense be better? And if the defense under defensive coordinator Scott Simons is better, they have a good shot at finishing the season as well as they started. Yeah, because that was that was part of the problem last year is that mm-hmm. they were winning games towards the end of the season, but they were ugly games. Yeah. Like they would they should not have been as close as they, as some of them were. Yep. Yeah, and I will say there is a there is a silver lining there is that one it's not a cakewalk in the beginning either. Right, no. you get TCU, UCF, and Cincinnati all before the end of October. And then towards the end of the year, you get UCF, Tulane, and Memphis, who's you know not, wasn't as great as they have been. So it's like you get a much more balanced schedule, mm-hmm. right? And so what could that lend itself to? Does that lend itself to maybe being closer to 500 in October, right, uh, this first year or whatever? Right. So. Yeah. And let's go ahead and end it with this. Who wins more in year one, Rhett Lashley at SMU or Sonny Dykes at TCU? Ooh. I like this one. Ooh. This is a great question because I came up with it. <laughs> yeah, I'll give credit. <laughs> this one you did come up with. <laughs> uh, I honestly, I yeah, I don't, I don't, I, I think I lean towards SMU. I mm-hmm. think I lean towards SMU because TCU has a further ways to go to be competitive in the Big 12. Mm-hmm. I think SMU is built closer to the top of a, a, AC then TCU is on top of the Big 12. And so for that reason, I think SMU wins seven, eight games this year. TCU is hovering around six or seven. Mm-hmm. But it may come down to the battle of the iron skillet. Yeah. Whoever really, wins that yeah. game you know, may, you know, may end up with, with more wins on the year. It's gonna be, that's going to be a fun story to watch because they're so close to each other. Those two are boys. Like, they're friends, uh-huh. you know, and so it's going to be a, a fun rivalry that continues that adds a new layer to it, and that definitely a storyline I'll, I'll be watching because I would imagine behind the scenes they're going to have the same, yeah. you know, same competition, same conversation. Well, mm-hmm. Ashley coached under Dykes, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, that's what I, I figured, so it'll yeah. be interesting to watch. I'm going to go that way as well um, just because I struggle getting – I'm looking at – like I, I like to look at, like, ideals, right, or, like, the, the most – the best case scenario, I could see SMU doing nine, eight, nine wins. Best case scenario, I struggle getting to eight with best case scenario TCU. Yeah, like it's it's it has to like, there's an upset, another upset. Oh, that's probably an upset. And so I definitely agree. I think it's closer to six for TCU, and probably seven or eight with SMU. Yeah, that's a good one. I like yeah. it. All righty, so that'll be what we end with. Just another reminder. 
if you liked what you watched, if you want to see us actually live and not just a pre-recorded <laughs> thing. Uh, by the way, I can see those comments and coming in, all that stuff. You know, we'll be looking tomorrow. I'll have my phone out. Oh, you'll have your phone out. I'll, I'll look at. <laughs> I'm not, I'm I'll, I'll have my phone out looking at the comments of you guys tomorrow. So okay, don't worry. So, anyway. I'll be napping at AT and T Stadium. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Find some crevice of the, of the, of the dungeon or something. The darkness. So anyway, just a reminder that you can watch us every Wednesday, 2 p.m. for a live show. Uh, like I mentioned, Twitter, Facebook, on the website, Twitch. And YouTube, YouTube, almost forgot the biggest one. Uh, <laughs> we will be uh, here weekly doing this exact thing. And remember to subscribe at TexasFootball.com. Remember to subscribe on Spotify, Apple, wherever you get your podcast as well. And remember, we've had 11 of 12 FBS head coaches on this podcast interviewed. Jimbo Fisher, give us a call. We'll see you next week. <laughs>